One of the discussions we had early on was whether or not to have the mask untucked or tucked into the tournament. And to me, if the mask is untucked, I want to reach out and lift it up and see who's under the mask. If it's tucked in, it blurs the line between it's somebody wearing a mask or him being his own entity. So it, it, it kind of gives it that extra little step of, he's a little bit of this supernatural entity, not just some guy. no understanding in even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply... For over 40 years, the Halloween series has thrilled and terrified audiences. From its low-budget origins to spawning a new era of slashers. The franchise remains a cultural touchstone around the world, often referred to as the Gone with the Wind of Horror. From the first chilling notes of the iconic score to the final frame, join Joel Brown as we explore the iconic horror series, digging deep into the characters, the storylines, and the spine-chilling scares. Welcome to Talking Shape with Joel Brown, the ultimate podcast for Halloween franchise enthusiasts. 2023, we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of a horror classic that definitely left a mark on my childhood, and I imagine millions more. That's right, it is the silver jubilee of Halloween H2O, 25 years after, 20 years later. I still remember seeing the TV trailer for the movie uh, on local TV. I mean, Dimension films were, I mean, they were incredible at crafting a tight and suspenseful preview. But what made uh, Halloween H2O even more special was the presence of the legendary Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, this was her making her return back to the genre, back to the franchise. And there was this kind of sense of magic in a bottle, uh, which was it was absolutely irresistible for me as a young kid at the time. And I mean, it only fueled my obsession with Halloween, the franchise, and horror in general, which was, I mean, back in the mainstream in the late 90s. And then obviously finding out there was a new Halloween Halloween film coming out. I'm pretty sure me and my sister, we headed down to our local video store, eagerly searching for the original Halloween from 1978. We rented it, rushed home, watched it over and over. I just remember being so engrossed in the film that I even forgot to do my homework. And uh, let's just say that uh, the spelling test uh, the next day or that week uh, didn't go too well and my folks weren't too happy with me. And Halloween H2O holds a special place in my heart, I guess you could say, as it was the first Halloween film I ever saw on the big screen. I was just a wide-eyed nine-year-old when my mum took me and my sister to the uh, now-defunct King Cumber Theatre, which was just up the road from where I used to live. And I remember the excitement of sitting there, popcorn in hand, ready to embark on a very terrifying journey. 
There were some uh, rowdy teenagers that were sitting behind us yelling and, you know, just being typical teenagers and, you know, kind of disrupting the uh, the experience somewhat. And uh, it was during the big fight scene between Laurie and Michael and uh, my mum, never wanted to shy away from a confrontation, turns around and told him off. I'll never forget her words. Keep it down, I'm going to tell the manager. And I was like... That kind of like, you know, secondhand embarrassment either for my mum or for the teenagers. But, um, I mean, they shut up, so uh, mission accomplished, right? And uh, we got to enjoy the rest of the movie. Walking out of the theatre, the original score still playing in the background. And me thinking to myself, wow, what an ending. I mean, how do you bring Michael back from that? Little uh, did we know that uh, Halloween Resurrection uh, was coming about four or so years later. And for this episode of Talking Shape, for the first time ever, we will be speaking to the shape, Michael Myers, the man behind the mask, the stuntman who betrayed Michael Myers in Halloween H2O, Christopher Durand. I mean, he has some very impressive and great credits to his name, shot by Wesley Snipes in Demolition Man, was a stage jumper in the Doors movie, even donned the ghost face mask in Scream 2. He was very generous with his time and we'll be doing a deep dive into his approach to the role of Michael Myers, the challenges he faced and, of course, magic of making movies as a stuntman. Halloween H2O's The Shape, Michael Myers, after this. Four students are about to learn... Their teacher's terrifying secret. Who is that? My brother. Michael! Critics call Halloween H2O sensational. <laughs> Smart and non-stop scary. Jamie Lee Curtis makes a triumphant return. Finally, a sequel that lives up to the original. <laughs> Halloween H2O. My next guest has an impressive list of film and television credits uh, that includes Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Smoke and Aces, Talladega Nights. He was shot by Wesley Snipes in Demolition Man. He even tried to break on through to the other side in Oliver Stone's The Doors movie. He's even appeared in an episode of Seinfeld as Crazy Joe Devola. He's been Ghostface in Scream 2, but it is with horror fans. He's indeed as The Shape, Michael Myers, who returned after 20 years to kill his sister, Laurie Strode, in Halloween H2O 20 years later. It's a big welcome to Christopher Durand. Hello. Uh, hi, how are you? Very well. It's uh, great to uh, be speaking with you now. Great list of credits uh, kind of was just rattling off there. Um, but are you surprised that uh, I said that you're indeed to horror fans, I guess mainly uh, Halloween fans, as the one character being the shape, Michael Myers? Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm most known for. You know, I've been around a long time, uh, but Halloween resonates the most with the fans. And why do you think that is? I think because I think he's a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for, archetype character. Uh, He's so simple that we fill in the blanks and make it more frightening ourselves. There's a humanity to Michael that crosses the line between a person and the supernatural, which makes it really fun. 
and it's a special fraternity of guys. I mean, that have played the role um, as the as Michael Myers, and I mean, it's kind of like I'd imagine like sort of old war mates, uh, you know, catching up. I guess we have the Halloween forty five years of terror coming up in Pasadena. I mean, hopefully everyone who's donned the the famous mask will be able to catch up. I mean, sadly, we did lose James Winburn, the uh, stunt. Um, I guess coordinator in the original Halloween and yeah. George P. Wilbur, uh, Halloween four and six last year. Yep. yep. Yeah, we're we're starting to lose people, unfortunately. It has been a long time since the original, so it's it's not unexpected. But um, both really, really great guys. Um, going to be missed by everybody. And I believe that you you're going to be in attendance at the forty uh, five year anniversary. Yeah, for sure. I'll be over in Pasadena for forty five. I did forty. It was a blast. Um, great crowd. I mean, Halloween has got some of the most loyal, dedicated fans in the world. Um, everyone's super nice. It's a really fun time. If you can make it out, please do. You know, it's, I don't know what else to say. It's kind of, if you're, if you're a fan, this is the time to go. And I believe it was in one of the interviews, I think, from the uh, H40 event where you said people have actually traveled from Australia. I mean, people travel from all over the world, don't they? Yeah. I've, I've had people, when I was in Pasadena, I've had people from England, France, Australia, Japan, you know, quite big trips. And hopefully they're combining that with a vacation and actually, you know, staying for a couple of weeks. But some aren't. Some are coming just for the convention and going home again, which is incredible dedication. You had a really interesting take on doing Michael Myers in Halloween H2O. Do you think that would have been different if you had watched the original uh, 1978 and the 1981 Halloween sequel. Yeah, it's tough because it was kind of a happy accident that I didn't watch those because in the interview, the director and the first AD were talking amongst themselves and saying that we weren't going to reference what came before. And I socked that away. And then when I got the show, I remembered that and said, we're not doing what came before. Why bother? You know, why Why get anything in my head? We're going to do our own thing. They meant everything after two. Um, so had I known that, I probably would have watched one and two. And the issue with that is you can sometimes get in your own head and start to mimic what came before. So the real big lesson on this for me was figuring out how to make this work. Because you're a guy in a mask with no dialogue, no facial expression, maybe see my eyes. Now the mask is scary, the music's scary, the setting is scary, but at the end of the day, you're just some guy in a mask walking down the hallway after somebody. So you have to have intent behind your movement. And that's what I landed on was that you have to mean it. And it translates to film. That energy somehow translates. And the reason I'm going to ask that is because, I mean, Nick Castle famously had no dialogue from John Carpenter. He said, just just walk. Uh, right. Dick Warlock had the very kind of robotic, um, I guess, mannerisms of movements. And I thought if you right. did watch those, you, you, like you said, you'd kind of be in your head. You'd be like, you know, how am I? Because they're almost two completely different characters. Um, that you right. Know, no, you- exactly. So, again, the happy accident of it is I didn't watch anything. And there were two pieces of footage that Steve Miner showed me on set. One was the head tilt where they said, this is in the, right before we did it. I mean, literally two minutes before we did it. Uh, it's the long shot of me ch- about to chase the kids. And 
they showed it and said, this is kind of his gimmick, his little, his tick. And I'm like, okay. And we just did it. I was more concerned at that point um, about a technicality of how I was holding the knife so it would reflect when I move forward and catch some of the light into the lens. Uh, so I didn't didn't give it a lot of thought other than just, you know, keep my focus, do that as a little mannerism and keep going. And then the other was the closet scene because we overlapped the closet scene. So they wanted me to know what we were overlapping. Other than that, I didn't I didn't watch any of it. Was the director, Stephen Wilder, was he pretty open to you kind of, uh, I guess, freestyling? Steve never talked to me too much about what to do. He let me do my own thing, but this is, again, where it lands on me, and I had to kind of go, how am I going to be scary as this guy? What am I going to do? My my end, I guess my landing point was to be like a big cat, like a predator, and and take on that aspect of like a tiger when they lock eyes on their prey, and you can't break that gaze. Once they're locked in, it's feral, and you know you're pretty much done, and it's frightening when that happens. If you've ever seen that, it's like, you're so overpowered just by the energy coming from them. So I tried to take that on. So I would lock eyes on whoever I was going after for the scene and keep that intensity the whole time. And I even when I started, I'd kind of do this guttural growl under my breath, which the sound guy picked up on. And and I think layered into the whole uh, whole soundtrack at the end of the day, very subtly. I was gonna. That was a, a question. Uh, a, a growl. Yeah, we, 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 you know, no dialogue from um, from Michael Myers, but maybe a growl. Yeah, could have could have made it. If we if we go back, would they be able to hear it? But obviously, it'd be uh, <laughs> it'd be muted out. It'd be very muted and, <laughs> and, and undertone to everything else. Yeah. Been doing research uh, with a previous interview that you've done. Um, the the opening shot where you you pull the knife out of the uh, the cutting board. There was no obviously right. instruction for you to adjust it in your hand. And like this no, seems I, like so I I knew from what was coming that I would have to be holding the knife extended and not reversed in my hand. But he, you know, the cutting board was up high on the counter and I had to grab it the other way. And I'm, and me being kind of a consistency freak, if you will, and wanting things to work right. Um, so it's not going to match, you know, and there's a neutral shot on the in-between which would have allowed you to buy that it was flipped around. But I said, why not Why not do it? So I kind of dragged my hand as I went around the corner and flipped it as I went. And it became kind of an iconic moment in the whole thing because it's very subtle. It's not some big fancy thing. It's just a little adjustment prepping for what's coming next. We shot that. So we shot the exterior version of me killing her at the very beginning of filming. And then we shot that kitchen scene in the interior where actually you see me kill her five weeks later on the set. It sort of goes back to what you're saying, you know, like no dialogue, you're wearing a mask. Um, so you, there's no expression within your face. You have to sort of use your eyes and that, but using, using your, you know, your hands to move the knife, like, like you said, it's subtle, but Halloween fans that like, it's something that they, they picked up on and they know about. And I guess it sort of goes right. back to you being out, but using your physicality when the other things that you can't use. Right. Right. Well, that's all I, I really had. I mean, there's a couple of scenes where you see my eyes. Um, and, and of course the description in the original Halloween of he's got black eyes, the darkest eyes at all. And, you know, California kid with blue eyes and, <laughs> kind of a wide eye cut off, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, 
it's not going to be quite the same, but <laughs> it is what it is. So. He was, he, he uh, found some contact lenses uh, potentially, but you talk about continuity and sort of, you know, um, with the knife and like going from one scene to another. And I right. guess like that sort of work sort of, you know, I guess stunt coordinating would kind of have a lot to do with that. And the stunt work in Halloween H2O, particularly impressive. I mean, the, the van sequence towards the end there. Yeah. Um, now, doing stunts with a mask on, um, I imagine that comes with a, a considerable amount of challenge. I mean, yeah. you you buy, the, you buy the the toy mask and it says, you know, do not operate heavy machinery while, while wearing this <laughs> and you're kind of getting thrown out of vehicles or, you know, jumping yeah. off things. High-intensity yeah. scenes and lack of vision. I mean, how, as a stunt person, how do you make that work? Well, I mean, you just, you have to make it work because there's, uh, I'll give you two examples of kind of what happened there. So one was uh, when I've chased the kids through the woods and then I have to, I'm stabbing Josh in the leg and then I get hit over the head with a rock. Well, I have no peripheral vision. So we had to time that. Um, and you don't want to get hit and then have a late reaction because it doesn't sell right. So I had to kind of time what was coming and half guess, you know, half be just on a knife edge waiting for that to hit me uh, so I could be right on top of it for the reaction. I've done enough stuff over the years. My timing's really good and I'm quick. So we made that work. When it comes to something like coming out of the van, it's very tricky because what we did is, is you know, van windshield is very like short overall. So we built a platform in the van that was even with the dashboard. There's a big piece of plywood that went all the way back into the van and I lay on it and I had some cleats for my feet so I could kind of stabilize myself. And I had to crane my neck to look up to know when we were coming. And then I had to duck my head down completely to fit through the windshield. So I went through blind. And then it's a question of recovering in the air. So I knew I was going through blind. I knew I turned sideways. And then I had to find it. So it's one of those situations where you start the stunt and recover mid stunt. And we did that and, and did the whole roll up and me standing up and the van starting towards me again in one shot. Yeah, it sounds pretty easy. Yeah, right. It's all in the day's work. We came in at about 45 miles an hour and hit the brakes uh, on the mark and spit me out. And I guess you can kind of put it down to movie magic because, again, while doing research, uh, previous interview, I only found out just recently that uh, the pinning of uh, between the van and the tree, that was actually done in reverse. Right. So so my, that was my idea because we were trying to figure out how to land this van with a crane and and then, you know, have me roll into a spot and then put that precisely where it needs to be. And that's near impossible. And I said, why don't we yank it away and I'll do that roll in in reverse. So that last bit of me tumbling down the hill and then rolling into that position, I actually had to act it in reverse. So they yanked the van and I rolled out. So I had to do the whole arch up, tuck down, roll out. So I had to figure out what my motion was going to be rolling in and getting pinned and arching up and then just reverse the whole action. So it's just it's one of those tricks I've used a few times because it allows you to be incredibly precise, but you risk it looking really wrong if you don't uh, really coordinate your movement just right. So you really have to figure out what you're doing going in 
forward and, and reverse every aspect of that or it won't work. Because the first thing I did was I basically looked up um, the ending to H2O and, and that was the first thing I checked after hearing that it was in reverse. Right. And I and I suggest to any other people listening to do the same because it's it's seamless. So, you, you know, yeah. if, you, if you didn't tell me, I would have been like, oh, well, they did that in, you know, chronological order or in, in normal motion. But I guess being a stunt coordinator, it's about doing things safe, but obviously having it look as real as possible, right? Right. And of course, at the end of the day, listen, we're just... We're telling a story. We want to be safe. We're creating an illusion and there's a lot of tricks. So you really have to know what you're seeing on the screen. So for instance, there's another spot in town where Jamie is looking in the store window, sees me in the reflection. She spins around and sees Adam. Okay. They were trying to figure out what to do. If we were going to do a post-production shot, how we were going to make it work. And I know, no, let's do an old, it's an old thing in stunts called a cowboy switch. Okay. And it would be a Western where you see somebody come out the window on the second story and roll off the roof and disappear behind a a water trough. And then the actor pops up. Right. So it ties the actor into the scene. Okay. So you're switching in, you know, it's literally a cowboy switching with the cowboy. Right. So I said, no, 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 just do this. They were on her. And as they started to spin, I just ducked. So I had to duck at the right moment when I was out of frame. And Adam had to be in a spot where he wasn't in the reflection. But when you whip pan, you don't know how how far you've turned. Does that make sense? So if, if I'm there as Michael at this angle, and then they spin and they spin all the way around and he's over here, he's out of the reflection and I ducked out of the way and it sells the shot. So there's a lot of stuff that I learned over the years to do in a really simple, practical way without getting into too many effects that are just as, if not more effective. I mean, everyone I've spoken to always says uh, practical uh, effects are better than um, CGI or things like that. So it makes complete sense, right? right? Yeah. No, and I mean, I don't, you know, they, they could have done a whip pan and then blurred and then blurred as an entry to the next shot and seen Adam there and, and gotten a similar effect, but it's like, why? One of the things with stunts that's really, really important that people don't understand is timing. Hitting marks and timing is critical. So I'm, like I said, I'm quick. So it's, I knew as soon as the camera was turned so far, I'm out of frame and I just dropped. And by the time they to the spot where I was, I'm, I'm long gone. What about any other bits of uh, movie magic that we potentially may have missed in uh, Halloween H2O? I mean, there's all the usual stuff of, you know, breakaway things and, you know, foam props and all that kind of stuff. Nothing comes to mind too much. I mean, we did a lot of stuff practical. I don't think there's, I think the only matting together is stuff with the school, like where the the uh, entrance to the school is and you pan up this big wide hill on a shot and then you see the bus going up and then it pulls into the school. You know, those those two locations are 40 miles apart where they where they planted the gate and where the school is. And the hill is somewhere else. So there's, there's matting together three things to make that all seem like this rural school. Really, the school's on a hill near downtown L.A. <laughs> now, for someone that seems to, you know, you, you've stated, you know, you you got to hit your mark, you're quick, and, you know, all about continuity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get asked this question all the time. 
the the mask in Halloween uh, H2O. It, it appears yep. to change uh, throughout scenes, and I feel like everyone I've spoken to who had some form of connection to the film has two different answers or a different answer than the, the the last person like oh it was it was the weinsteins it was uh it was the director stephen minor it, it was it was someone it was else not, it was not steve i'll guarantee you that so two weeks or so prior to initial photography principal photography we did a, a lineup with a whole bunch of masks as a photo test so they could decide on a final design and they decided they decided on the one that was more washed out, okay, KMB mask. And what a lot of people don't know is every day you film, they develop the film, and the next day or two, they you know everyone sits down and watches dailies. So you know if you've got the footage you wanted, you know how it looks, you can make any adjustments you need to make. So they've been watching dailies for five weeks, okay? And it was exactly that Friday that we were shooting the scene with the knife flip that you're talking about that I showed up on set and find out they want to change the mask. And Steve was livid. So it was not, it was not his choice. So we shot it with the mask from five or six, I forget. And then we shot it with the original. We shot it both ways with that whole knife flipping going down the hallway. And he lit it dark. And then by Monday we had a new mask. Glad that you bring up the the Halloween. It was the from all accounts, it was the Halloween six mask. That I was, think it's six. Yeah, yeah. Because I recently spoke to a, a former Dimensions uh, executive who said he had the Halloween six mask in his office, and he made a phone call saying, "Oh, you know, I've got the mask here," and, and sent it out to set. And then there was a decision to choose another. Like, like you said, you've you've done a few shots with two different types of mask, and then I'm guessing the ultimate decision on what mask was being used. Right. Yeah, and so that's where it switched five weeks into shooting, <laughs> which was really, really late and really, really deflating for a lot of people. So what Steve decided to do was to keep all of the really wide shots that we had done with the original mask um, instead of reshooting everything and then reshooting you know, a bunch of stuff. But we had already done things like the table flip scene and other things like that. So... The hard part is with any film and any shot in a film, you sometimes get what what are called happy accidents. So things that go really, really well that weren't planned. And it, it could just be something that falls in frame just right. It could be one movement like with the flipping the tables that just had a certain energy to it. And we have to reshoot that and we know we'd already nailed it. You know, it's it's kind of tough for everybody because like we already did this, but you can't let that override the work. So listen, I come from, you know, originally from the world of stunts and there's times when something doesn't go right. You know, maybe it's a, the camera guy didn't frame you just right and you missed what you were doing. And it's a thumper, you know, and now you got to redo it. And of course you start to get gun shy if it kind of was a thumping stunt. So you have to override that tendency to hold back knowing what's coming and go harder. And so that's always my attitude going into this anyway, is A, let's get it in one and B, you know, if you got to redo it, bring it. So when we had to go refilm, I'm like, okay, let's just do it. 
And, and it's an opportunity to, to maybe bring a different energy and create new happy accidents. But you don't always get the same shot. You know, sometimes you don't get that little magic piece. But we did at the end of the day. And I think that's partly because I just brought the energy knowing you have to. You can't, you can't be deflated by stuff like that. you got to make it work. In retrospect, do you think the ultimately the right decision was made to change the mask? Or Yeah, I just wish we had done it much, much earlier. Yeah. I like what we ended up with much better because there was a lot more texture and depth to it. Uh, the original was a bit washed out, like I said, and, and less had less personality. Yeah. Um, and then there's then there's <laughs> then there's the quote CG mask, mm. which is not a CG mask. It's a CG overlay onto the original mask, which was done kind of poorly because it floats, so it looks like the whole thing is funky. Today, if you're going to marry an overlay to a, a mask on screen, it's going to match perfectly with the movement. Then it was sketchy and it, and it kind of moved a little and shifted relative to the mask. So it made the whole thing look a little funky for that one shot in the kitchen. But that was actually the original mask. And they, and they tried to modify it to give it more of that depth I was talking about. And was that a... Old- was that a bit of a cost measuring thing being like, Hey, maybe we can CGI this face on the, on all the masks. And then they realized, Oh, well, I don't think they were going to do that for everything. No, I think they just, I I think they missed a shot to be honest. I don't know for sure, but I think they missed a shot on a reshoot and like crap, you know, how do we cover this? And, And just kind of did the best they could with that piece. And that's the most frustrating thing about that whole show was that that mask controversy comes up because everybody's such a stickler for that continuity, which I appreciate is, you know, well out of my hands, right? But if you watched the originals, Chris, you would have been, hey, this doesn't look like the the mask and you might have been able to set them straight. What do you reckon? Yeah, it, it wasn't my choice, <laughs> right? Yeah. I wasn't in on that decision-making from the beginning or any part of it. So it was kind of like, here's the mask, go for it. Yeah. Well, someone who might have had some uh, some pulling power is definitely uh, your co-star, Jamie Lee Curtis. And on re-watching H2O, I mean, this sounds like the most generic comment ever, but I feel like every scene that Jamie Lee Curtis was in made it a thousand percent better. I mean, you know, born into Hollywood royalty, uh, right. an absolute professional from all accounts. I mean, yeah. your dynamic with uh, make, trying to make a dynamic with uh, Laurie Strode and Michael Myers, how did that go? Well, she's very, very nice and she's very, very hands-on. So there's times when she would see us doing something or see the crew doing something and she wanted to jump in and help and you, and you can't as the lead or even one of the support people. You you cannot because if she gets hurt doing something, the whole show's down. Now, when I came out of the van, there were a few of us prepping the ground. So what that means is we're kind of raking it up and making sure there weren't any rocks there anything that could ding me when I came out, just make it as, as kind of smooth as possible. And she happened to walk by and ask what we were doing. And we told her and she jumped right in and started grabbing little rocks and throwing them out of the way. So she's very, very involved. When you hit a hundred, hundred rolls of film, you know, on a film, uh, there's usually champagne at lunch and she served it to everybody. So she's very, very sweet that way. Squares like a sailor but not in any kind of a, a negative way. It's just kind of how she is. That was going to be my next comment was uh, she th- throws a few F-bombs uh, just casually in there. 
Yeah, she's it's casual swearing. It's just kind of her personality. But then she would do stuff to me where where she would come up to me and get in my face right before a scene, just go, I'm gonna kick your ass. And I'm like, You're not helping me get in character, right? So yeah. I'd roll my eyes at her, stick my tongue through the mask and and then let it all go and focus on what I had to do. So uh, she had fun with it. And because she was kind of like a producer uh, for this film and, and that, but would you, did, I mean, you tried to probably stay away from her given, you know, the the character you were portrayed at the time, but did you, you know, get to have much of a conversation with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis? Yeah, of course. We hung out sometimes. You know, it depends what you're doing on each day and how busy everyone is. No, but she's she's very sweet. We get, you know, I got to know her a little bit. Um, you're, you're working together for 10 weeks, you know, and I was there for most of it, so... For sure, you have that time together and get to, to hang out, which is really, really nice. She's obviously come out after and kind of said that she wasn't overly happy with the the, the ending of the film. <laughs> it depends when you're talking to somebody in time, right? So part of the deal to get her on board, as I understood it, was she wanted to end the series. So it was Halloween 1, Halloween 2, H2O is Halloween 20 years later, done. But the producers were never, ever going to allow the franchise to die. So in order to give her what she wanted, they had to come up with the gimmick of the switch so they could keep the franchise going and she got what she wanted. So she was done with Halloween. Yeah. So that was her idea to finish it. Many years later, I think she kind of rethought it and went, nah, I'm not done. I want to do this or that and try something else. So. That was a, an evolution through time, because at the time, the whole point of H2O, in her mind, was to finish a trilogy and be done with Halloween. And I guess sort of, you know, because of the uh, remakes and reimaginings and that, the, the ending of Halloween H2O can sometimes be a little bit overlooked. It's actually, like, within the franchise, probably one of the, the better endings in the franchise. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole the whole thing about getting pinned and reaching out, that whole scene was very, very tricky to do. The tricky part of that is, is listen, before we started filming, I knew that there was going to be kind of that false ending that they were going to carry on the franchise. We all knew that. So if you look at that particular scene, it had to read three ways all at the same time. It had to read as, as a paramedic who's trapped, who's reaching up to this mask and saying, what the hell's going on? Help me. It had to read as Michael having had it's not knocked out of him in the way that he came to his senses a little bit, reaching out to her almost for forgiveness. And then it had to have that moment of just touch me and I'll end this. And it all had to play. So it was it was very tricky to do because there's only really that one motion of feeling the mask and then reaching out. And that's when you do get to see my eyes. So it all had to play there. It all had to play in that emotional kind of subtext. And it did. It did. It worked. And if you rewatch the movie later, you go, oh, it works that way too. Looking at uh, the cast and crew for uh, Halloween H2O, I mean, um, kind of a bit of a, it's all like a, an all-star cast now looking in yeah. re in retrospect. Obviously, oh, yeah. 
Josh Hartnett, this is his first sort of uh, debut film, doing the faculty at the same time. W- was there an impression that, um, I guess, I don't know, from the studio or Dimensions that, you know, this is, we're going to strap the rocket to this guy. This is going to be, quote, unquote, like the new Brad Pitt or the new the new male star. Well, he had done something on TV before that, and then he came onto that. Um, he had been a model for, uh, I forget which brand it was. It was, one, it was one of the big brands. He'd been a model for them. So I think he was on people's radar because he's kind of the the classic Hollywood leading man look. Um, and he's talented. And so partway through Halloween, I was next to him when he was having a conversation with his agent and he was being offered some other kind of a horror budget that was a horror movie that was a lower budget than what we were doing. And he said, no, why would I do that? That's a step backwards. And then soon after Halloween, he got the faculty. So he went from a $17 million to a $50 million budget and then to the moon. Yeah. So I think it was just he has such a good look and he has the talent that people just went, I like him. Yeah, I can use him. It's kind of classic Hollywood. Yeah. And Michelle Williams, she would obviously go on to, you know, uh, great stardom, uh, you know, sort of starting off on Dawson's Creek. Uh, and this is one of her first sort of feature films. Uh, we, we surprised the success that she would go on to have. No, not at all. I mean, she was coming. She was already a star on the show on Dawson's Creek and very talented. So, I, you know, people like to branch out. And when these these shows end, I mean, people either stick in TV or they want to get mostly they want to get into film. Um, So usually if you get a foothold, you kind of try to keep that moving. And she did to great effect, you know, but another sweetheart, very, very talented. And probably another star that um, was probably, I guess, quote unquote, people would have thought was a bigger star at the time as well was uh, Jason Gordon-Levitt. And obviously um, Mm -hmm. him being killed off uh, in the opening scene, I guess a bit of a homage to uh, uh, Psycho, you know, killing off like a main character in the opening scene, right? Right. I mean, he was he was brought in specifically for that short, you know, I mean, not everybody's in the whole thing. It was nice that he signed on and did that little piece. I think it was fun for him to come do that. LL Cool J. Uh, any cool yeah. stories with him on set? He was freaked out by the mask. Whenever, whenever I was near him and I had that on, he would he would get like 30 feet away and he'd kind of like side-eye me like, I don't know, and he'd back up a few steps. And he, yeah, he really did not like, you know, he was creeped out by the whole vibe of it. Um, he was a very nice guy too. You know, I didn't work with him a ton. It was mostly... Uh, overlapping i mean I, I guess i went by the guard gate with him in and then the scene where i kill adam and, and lift him in the air we we did a shot with because you know you this is again this is one of those cheats right we had is it, was it me coming up yeah me coming up the stairs as a shadow and then ll cool j emerging does that make sense yeah so you're seeing what clearly looks more like Michael coming as a shadow. And then you see him get shot and you're like, Oh no, what, you know what I mean? So you're, you're messing with everybody's minds. Right. So we did that scene. That was when he was really freaked out by the mask. He can't, he kind of stayed away from you. And I guess any uh, overall sort of favorite memories uh, from working on set with the cast and crew. I mean, uh, is there any kind of, obviously there's um, the Halloween conventions and things like that, but uh, anyone that you stay in contact with or got the opportunity to work with sort of multiple times? 
<clears throat> well, let me see. I worked with uh, Jody a couple of times because I used to go up and work on the show in, in San Francisco called Nash Bridges. That she was one of the leads on. So I got to see her probably the most out of anybody. Uh, but everyone kind of scatters to the winds after a while. You know, so I, I don't really see probably any of them right now. I saw Josh. I worked with him on uh, Pearl Harbor. I was out there for a bit on that, doing a lot of the action sequences. Uh, and he was kind of in between shots. They had him just on hold, but he was at the same hotel. And so we hung out a few times. And as a stuntman coordinator and an actor, did after doing Halloween H2O, that, that kind of, you know, give you a bit more stock within the industry that you'd been in that big film and you kind of suggested uh, some things? Yes and no. I mean, it, it's amazing that some people don't realize the challenge of playing Michael because of the limitations you have. You know, it, again, you're not a visible, recognizable character as your face. So in that sense, you don't get credit in the, in the larger sense of you start in this movie. And sometimes you don't get credit because you're like, oh, you're a guy in a mask, blah, blah, blah. But they don't realize the challenge of actually pulling that off and making it work. Um, but it's a, it's a huge credit. You know, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, it, it's also a very unique credit that people think is really cool. So when they go, oh, you played Michael? Oh, really? And then they get excited, right? So whether or not it's like they want to bring you on for something, they're happy when they find out that you were Michael. Every interview that I've heard you do, you always drop that you've got a degree in archaeology. You kind of link storytelling through archaeology and then stunt work. But I'd like to I'd like to kind of go a bit deeper with the archaeology. What uh, what drew, drew you to that? And I mean, you know, was it Indiana Jones or what? what? No, 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 no. It was nothing <laughs> like that. It was just something I was always interested in history. And whenever we we traveled around, and I'd see, you know, like an old castle ruins, it, it always just fascinated me as a kid. So I I was just drawn to it and and kind of fell in love with it. How do you link the archaeology with storytelling with films? Well, so let me back up even further. So when I was a kid, when I would play with like my Hot Wheel cars, I would, you know, be fooling around in the dirt and I'd, I'd create some little scenario and then I'd back up and I'd do it again and I'd adjust and I'd back up and I'd do it again until I got it just right. What does that sound like? It's filmmaking, right? It's, I, I, was, I wanted it to work just how I wanted it to work. Archaeology is all about discovering the story of what came before. So there's kind of this romanticized vision of like, what used to happen here? How can I figure it out? You know what I mean? What was the story that this place, how did it get ruined? You know, what was in its heyday? And I've always written stories and told stories that way. So they all kind of just overlap. And I realize my personality is just telling stories you know, creating the stories. So when I when I had classes in like history, I'm really bad at remembering the details. Like if you ask me dates and names, couldn't tell you, but I remember the underlying story. I remember kind of the gist of what happened and why. So that's just my personality. That's what resonates with me. And when I got older and I was doing a lot of physical stuff and I realized, hey, there's a job I can do where I can 
do all this stuff I love to do on the physical side and I'm telling stories. Awesome. But I was the shy kid. I was the last person who was going to get up and do a play in school or, you know, the, you had to almost drag me in front of the class to give a book report. I mean, I was, you know, terminally shy. When I got to high school, I signed myself up for a drama class because I knew that was stupid, right? It's a useless attribute. So I got over it. And then when I got into stunts, you're a little bit more behind the scenes, even though you're performing. And through time, I got my feet under me and you realize, hey, a lot of these stunt things are, are acting. So you, you can't worry about it. There's no time. So you literally don't have time to be shy or, or you know, camera shy in any way. You just got to do it. So I got over myself and <laughs> been doing it for 30 years or something now. Not watching the previous films for Halloween, but taking, I guess, the uh, the what you learned from your archaeology degree. How did you take that kind of knowledge taking on the role of Michael Myers? Okay, so there's some repetitive kind of themes in history about how civilizations rise and fall, how people interact with each other, how trade is between things, how how stylistic pottery moves from one area to the other, all that kind of junk, right? And there's commonalities in storytelling. There's like baseline commonalities. So this goes back to something I said earlier. Michael is basically an archetype character. So once I figured that out, you know, an archetype, you got the, the, the father, the mother, the warrior, a lover, a killer. He's a killer, right? Keep it simple. The mask is simple. My movements have to be precise and specific and don't stray from that kind of, like I said, feral um, energy of locking onto somebody and coming for them. That's my goal. I'm coming for you. There's nothing you can do about it. I'm not in a hurry, but you're done for, right? And once I kind of landed on that, you know, part out of desperation on set and part out of thinking it out, it's like, okay, this is how it has to play if this is going to work. And that's what the character is. I mean, it's, again, so here, I'll give you an example. One of the discussions we had early on was whether or not to have the mask untucked or tucked into the tournament. Okay. And to me, if the mask is untucked, I want to reach out and lift it up and see who's under the mask. Okay. What that means is that there's somebody under the mask. Okay. It's tucked in. It blurs the line between it's somebody wearing a mask or him being his own entity. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it, it, it kind of gives it that extra little step of he's a little bit of this supernatural entity, not just some guy wearing this. And so if you walk that fine line, the humanity resonates to everybody because you can recognize yourself in Michael, but it's also just enough removed that it's frightening. So it, it really balanced it out really nicely. So I, you know, my brain going crazy. I think all those things and then try to put it into practice is just keep it simple. Right? Don't complicate this. It's all about the energy you bring to it. It's all about the intent. 2023 marks the 25th anniversary of Halloween H2O. Yep. Kind of asked this at the top, you know, being remembered for being Michael Myers. Are you surprised, uh, one, the longevity with the franchise, but um, Halloween H2O being so endeared to horror fans and Halloween fans? 
Yeah, I mean, it's phenomenal. Uh, I had no idea when I did it what a big impact it was. Um, I had the pleasure of introducing a whole new generation to the franchise, even though I had never seen it, which was kind of this very interesting <laughs> dichotomy, right? But at the end of the day, I think because I played him honestly and just did what I thought was right and kept it at that core energy, um, it, it works and it resonates with people and the fans are, are enduring. I mean, this, this is the franchise out of all of them that kind of sustains, right? So, I mean, what a pleasure. It's kind of like getting to play Dracula or Frankenstein in the old days, right? Yeah. And as a stuntman, um, obviously, uh, you know, 25 years since uh, 1998, you know, uh, I, I would imagine that um, doing the physicality of stunt work is a is a young man's game. Um, you're getting a bit older. Do you, yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you still do a lot of the physical stunts or like, I mean. Uh, uh, not know? the real, not the big stuff anymore that I used to do. I mean, it's still, it can be a physical job. Um, I've done a lot more acting through time. Uh, I'm branching out completely from that uh, that side of it because yeah, it's it's more of a younger guy's game for that. So I'm doing more character stuff. I've been writing a ton. I have three horror franchises of my own that are that are near completion for the writing. I've got a fourth that I'm signed on to. Two things as, as part of that, I'm, I'm co-owner of a up and coming mask company. It's Autumn Night Enterprises, and it's a mask company, part of a company called this. You can't see that either. It's called Dark and Well. But the character that I will be playing, if you can see him, I don't know why it won't focus. I mean, it's a little bit blurred, but uh, I'll let it's my very blurred. Ah, yeah, you can make it out there. Yeah, you can kind of look a bit, a bit witchy looking. Uh, it's devil type. Ah, okay, yep, 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 yep. Oh, okay. Fantastic. If you look on IMDb, you'll see the haunting of dark and well. So we're in the final stages of prepping everything for that, and that crosses over with the mask company. And and that's the, the is that the top mask that yeah you're looking to produce is sort of uh, how uh, not that's Halloween, kind of but, that yeah. one right there is the lead mask of um, a bunch, mm. but that is the character that is the character I will be in that that is kind of the baseline character and it's a halloween timed story it's a halloween themed story in that regard yeah um so anyway once again that's the haunting of dark and well and autumn night autumn night enterprises those are two things i've been working on a ton and then i've got three other franchises that are my own um so i've been writing and writing a ton and the idea is to shift you know more and more away from the stunts which i've done already and uh apply those same skills for me um, instead of for somebody else. And some of these I won't be in, some I'll be directing, and others I will do both. Through the Halloween fans, horror fans are quite loyal and, you know, they love new content and things. So you you kind of already have a an audience that you can kind of, uh, I guess, show this to, right? Yeah, no, there's a built-in audience for this. I mean, I've got a whole bunch of other stories I'm doing as well. But specifically to this fan base, there are three horror-based. Um, one is a horror-action kind of combo, which will be a lot of fun to do. But, yeah, there's a lot more going on. Uh, there's been a lot of prep work. It takes time to get all that work done. But we're almost there. And 
I believe you have two sons. Um, mm-hmm. Are they going to get into the family business, whether this be the the mask making or the the I guess the stunt work? Have they showed any interest at all? Um, yeah, I'm, they they have. I mean, my oldest is is less interested, I think, than the young guy. So I've got seventeen and eleven, and we're actually um, that same production. I will tell you now, he's going to be part of for the Dark and Will. Yeah, he's already signed on for that. And and being a stunt guy, like when you know see the kids, like say they're, they're jumping on the trampoline or something or other, do you kind of go up to them and be like, "Oh no, if you if you want to get maximum height, you have to make sure you go on the center of the trampoline." Or do you find them giving them advice if they uh, want to, you know, do certain things or stunts that you probably shouldn't be telling them that mum might get a bit mad about? Well, if they listen to me, that's the you know <laughs> that's the typical parent thing, right? Um, <laughs> we we do have a trampoline. <laughs> Yeah, no, they're pretty good about paying attention to what I know. They're actually both swimmers, which is, you know, probably a, a one of the best sports you can be in because it's not an impact. So you could do it for your whole lifetime. So a lot easier on the joints uh, in water. A lot easier on yeah. the body because. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm actually about to go play football for a local uh, football oh, team, <laughs> and after each game, I'm definitely feeling my age. That's for sure. Yeah. Chris, you've been absolutely generous with your time. Uh, obviously, like like to give uh, everyone a um, a wrap of, uh, I guess you know, a plug of what they're doing. You've kind of already alluded to um, things that are in the pipeline. Is there anything yeah. else that the the fans would like to know, or how can fans uh, connect with you? Uh, Facebook is usually the best way for me. So hit me up, even if there's if I don't have enough space to have you as a as a friend, you know, just follow. Um, it's under Christopher Duran. I use Christopher for most things professionally. Uh, there's kind of a shot of me with angel wings. You know, it's one of those walls with a big painting and stuff. So that's the one. Uh, hit me up there. And uh, as you know, that's where you got me here. And really what I'm pushing for is all of our own company right now, trying to get this launched. And and as we do, I think uh, there'll be lots and lots of updates. In the meantime, I can't say too much. Christopher Duran, you've been generous with your time, as I said, and I have to say that you were the first Michael Myers that I saw on the big screen. Um, so it was great honor speaking with you. Thank you for taking the time. All the best and uh, take care. It's my pleasure. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Talking Shape, the ultimate Halloween franchise podcast created by the fans. Make sure to stay up to date with the latest episodes by following Talking Shape on Twitter at Talking underscore Shape and liking us on Facebook. Feel free to give us a review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. We appreciate your support. Until next time. Go home. Go home.